Ye are the children of whom? And of the covenant which the Lord made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, saying what? It shall all kindreds of the earth be blessed. Where did Peter get that statement? Genesis 12, 3. It's the same statement Paul quoted. Now Paul says that was the gospel God preached to Abraham. Now Peter gives us some additional information. Now he's about to explain the central feature of in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Look at verse 26. Unto you first. God having done what? Raised up his son Jesus. Sent him to do what? Bless you in doing what? Turning away every one of you from what? His iniquities. Isn't that the gospel? Deliverance from sin? Yes. Now, you heard Elder Preby earlier today. All Adventists are either intimately or passingly familiar with Revelation 14, 6, and 7. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. The everlasting gospel given to us. Way back, God told Abraham, This treasure I am giving to you, and you must do what? Come on. God said, in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. I'm giving it to you that you might do what? Bless others. Can anyone be saved outside of the gospel? No. The gospel is God's response to the crisis of sin. For sin not only affected the world, it affected the universe. The sacrifice of Christ was not just for this world. It secured the heavenly inhabitants. It secured all the other worlds. It was that sweeping. Not just this world. What I'm stressing to you is that way back, God told our father. Why do I say our father? Who am I referring to? Abraham, Galatians 3.29. If we be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. We are the descendants of Abraham. So that statement in Genesis 12.3 applies to us. And in thee and thy seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. My brothers and sisters, there is something the world needs desperately. And it can only be found in this church. And most of the church doesn't know it. This church, not necessarily the, the Pine Springs Ranch Church, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. In last-day events, well, before I go to last-day events, let's go to Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Let's read verse 13. Matthew chapter 5, reading verse 13. What does that verse say? Yeah, the what? To whom was Jesus speaking? To his disciples. You read from verse 1. And seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, who came unto him? His disciples. And he opened his mouth and taught 
them. Now, clearly, a large multitude overheard. But Christ's remarks were directed to the disciples. Ye are the salt of the earth. Here again, he divides the earth into two, the salt and that which needed to be preserved. Look at verse 14. Read it with me. Hear what? The light of the... Yes. Again, two. Here's the light. The light of truth is housed in God's people. Here's the rest of the world. In what? Darkness. Needing what? And where's the light? In God's people. I don't believe we as a people understand that life and death is involved in how we handle this sacred responsibility. Many people will be lost and their blood will be required at our hands. The Bible says in John 1.10, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. Verse 11, he came unto his own and his own received him not. Now the world did not even know when Jesus came except a few shepherds and some wise men thousands of miles or hundreds of miles to, uh, to the east. Why was it they didn't know? Because Israel of that day did not carry out its function to prepare the world to receive Christ at his first coming. Now, is there a second coming? Does the world need to be prepared? Who has that responsibility? We do. Now, let's go to last day events. Page 45, paragraph 2. Seventh-day Adventists have been chosen by God as a peculiar people separate from the world. Separate from what? Which means we should dress separate from the world. Our eating habits, separate from the world. Our lifestyles, separate from the world. Our recreational activities, separate from the world. Our romantic behavior, separate from the world. Our educational pursuits, separate from the world. It is only when we are separate from the world that we give the world something to aim at. But when we are like the world, the world is robbed of an opportunity to see a different lifestyle. Seventh-day Adventists have been chosen by God as a peculiar people separate from the world. Listen carefully to the words. By the great cleaver of truth. And I may or may not identify that today. By the great cleaver of truth, he has cut them out from the quarry of the world and brought them into connection with himself. He has made them his representatives and has called them to be ambassadors for him in the last work of salvation. The greatest wealth of truth ever entrusted to mortals. The most solemn and fearful warnings ever sent by God to man have been committed to them to be given to the world. Now let me go over that again since you really didn't get the import. The most sacred, the greatest wealth of truth ever entrusted to mortals. What is the the historic span of mortals, it goes how far back? To Adam. Now think. The greatest wealth of truth ever 
entrusted. Why does she choose the word entrusted and not just given? When you entrust something to me, if you find a dime or a nickel or a, a penny, you know, when you go to the gas station, you fill up and you get a penny, what do you do with a penny? Don't you drop it in some little thing on the counter? You're not taking a penny. You walk down the street, you see a penny, you, walk, you don't want anyone to see you picking up a penny. So no one can entrust a penny to you unless it was the very first penny minted in the United States. But they can entrust you with $2,000. They can entrust you with $40 million. Now, the word entrust immediately tells us about the thing that's given. It is what? Valuable. The greatest wealth of truth ever entrusted to mortals, which means from Adam to this day, no one has had such solemn truth to proclaim as we have. Not Isaiah, not Ezekiel, not Enoch, not Paul, not John the Baptist. The greatest wealth of truth. Now, when you understand that is your, your calling, why do you want to be like a, some other church? Why do you want your music to be like another church? Why do you want to conduct your worship like some other church? Because they make more noise. When you understand how special and peculiar, in a good sense, you are, then you do all you can to get people to be like you. But we are plagued with this desire to be like others because we do not understand our prophetic heritage and the uniqueness of our calling. Testimonies, volume 5, page 455, paragraph 2. God has called his church in this day as he called ancient Israel. What does that mean? Who was God's people back then? Or who were God's people? Here's the lines. Who are God's people today in a similar sense? The Seventh-day Adventist church. We can document it spiritually, uh, biblically. We can provide reasonable biblical evidence to support that conclusion. God has called his church in this day as or the same way he called ancient Israel to stand as a light in the earth. Then she uses that term I used in the previous quotation, by the mighty cleaver of truth. What is that cleaver of truth? He has separated them from the churches that we want to be like. He has separated them from the churches and from the world to bring them into a sacred nearness to himself. A precondition for a truly intimate relationship with God based on that statement is a separation from other churches and from the world. Now we may not go to the other churches to worship, but we bring their style to us. You heard the complaints, very legitimate complaints Elder Gallimore made this morning about music and whatever else that blights and afflicts and curses this church. Do you understand what it means to be a Seventh-day Adventist? No one irritates me more than Seventh-day Adventists. 
But let me finish that statement so it's not as sweeping as it sounds. Who loves to be like somebody else? I've heard people say, I'm not an Adventist, I'm a Christian. Oh, really? Who gave you the name Christian? Not God. You know, God approved the name for this church. It wasn't Christian. Christian was given by the unbelievers to the believers at Antioch. Now, I'm not against Christian, but let me tell you something. The word Christian says very little. Other than hypocrisy. Wasn't Mohandas Gandhi who said, I like the Christ, I don't like the Christians? Didn't he say if Christians followed what Jesus said, all the world would be Christians? Didn't he say that? There's a problem with Christians. There's nothing complimentary about saying I'm a Christian. But I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Ah, that's different. Let me tell you why. Testimonies, Volume 1, page 223, paragraph 1. Listen to your prophetess. I was shown. Now, what does that tell you immediately? <laughs> she didn't write this after she had some soy milk. She was shown. <laughs> I was shown, says Ellen White, in regard to the remnant people of God taking a name. I was shown. Two classes were presented before me. One class was composed of the great bodies of professed Christians. They were trampling upon God's law and were bowing to a papal institution. They were keeping the first day of the week as the Sabbath of the Lord. The other class, who were but few in number, were bowing to the great lawgiver. She splits the world into two. That's what she was shown. The other class, who were but few in number, were bowing to the great lawgiver. They were keeping the fourth commandment. The peculiar and prominent features of their faith were the observance of the seventh day and waiting for the return of our Lord from heaven. She says she was shown why the name is so important. It draws a line of distinction. Testimonies, volume 1, page 224, paragraph 3. The name Seventh-day Adventist is a standing rebuke to the Protestant world. Not Christian. They're all Christians. The name Seventh-day Adventist is a standing rebuke to the Protestant world. Here is the line of distinction between the worshippers of God and those who worship the beast and receive his mark. Testimonies, Volume 1, page 224, paragraph 1. The name Seventh-day Adventist carries the true features of our faith in front and will convict the inquiring mind. Just the name causes an honest person to think. Like an arrow from the quiver of God, it will wound the transgressor of God's law and will lead to repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the name will do, Ellen White says. The very name. So don't tell me any rubbish that you're not a Seventh-day Adventist. You're a Christian. It's because you don't understand what it means to be a Seventh-day Adventist. It is a high privilege. Amen. To this church has been committed truth that no one else has. I'll tell you something else. With 
privilege comes responsibility. Let me wipe the smiles off the few faces that are smiling. There's a principle by which God functions. It is this. To whom much is given, which is required. Now let me refresh your memory. The greatest wealth of truth ever entrusted to mortals. You combine that with 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that what? Any should perish but that all should come to repentance. It is God's will that that wino in your community, that prostitute, those, whoever they are, come to repentance. It's the truth that convicts under the control of the Holy Spirit. Not just any truth. What is needed for this day and age is what? Is baptism by immersion truth? Is that what the world needs today? Now when you say no, say no carefully. The world needs it, yes. But is that what will prepare the world for the coming of Christ? Is that peculiar to Adventists? That's truth. It's not present truth. Are you following me? This church has been given present truth. Let me get back to to whom much is given, much is required. I'll come back to present truth. Our unfaithfulness to this calling will be taken into account when God punishes the unfaithful among us in the fires of hell. If you didn't understand that clumsy Shakespearean turn of phrase, let me say it this way. The people screaming the loudest in hell will be Adventists who have fallen down in this responsibility. Since they, more than all other mortals, have been given the greatest wealth of truth, then if God is fair to his principle, he has to punish them more severely. They will be beaten with what? Many stripes. Notice I said they, not us. We'll be faithful. Come on, somebody say it. Faithful few. Let me get back to present truth. Go with me to Revelation 12. What time is it? 26 to 4. Revelation 12. Let's read from verse 1. Verse 1, yes, my inquiring brother, yes. Is this thing not working? I think I can hear myself fairly well. But if you're not hearing me raise an arm or somebody else's arm, I will try to amplify. All right, Revelation 12, reading from verse 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed how? And the moon... And upon her head a crown of 12 stars. Let's stop right there. Who is this woman? Okay, generally the true church. And it is of this woman, of which the Bible says in verse 17 of the same chapter, and the dragon was wroth with the woman. That tells you something immediately. Satan isn't angry with every church. He is not. Because there's another woman in Revelation with whom Satan is not angry. As a matter of fact, he supports her and her daughters. Where is she found? Revelation 17. He's not angry with her. They are friends. 
They are drinking buddies from that golden cup filled with filthiness of her fornication and abominations. They're friends. But he hates that woman in Revelation 12. Not only her, went to make war with the remnant of her seed. So we have the woman, we have the seed, then we have the remnant. Which means it stretches from her to this day. Which keep the commandments of God. Last day events, page 45, paragraph 1. God has made us the depositories of his law. He hath committed to us sacred and eternal truth, which is to be given to others in sacred warnings, reproofs, and encouragement. We are the depositories of God's law. The devil hates the church that has God's law. And so we go back to this woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. We have the sun, we have the moon, we have the stars. What I'm saying is just for your consideration and your reflection. Where do we first encounter the sun, the moon, <clears throat> and the stars? Creation. Let's go to Genesis 1.14. Genesis 1.14, from one end of the Bible to the next. Genesis 1.14, do you have that now? And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for what? Signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. One of the primary functions of those heavenly bodies was to give light light upon the earth. Think. Where is the sun? In heaven. Where is the moon? Where are the stars? Where do they give light? On earth. So earth's light comes from where? Heaven. Have I lost you? Are you sure? Earth's light comes from where? Heaven. It is of what source? A heavenly source. What sources of light for the earth are located on the earth? Now listen carefully. What sources of light that God set up to brighten the world that he set up on the world? None. All the sources of light are located where? In heaven, outside of the earth. Are you following me? So that the earth is, what word am I about to use? For its light, it is the, on where? Heaven, for its light. Now, let's look at this woman again. She has the sun. She has the moon. She has the stars. How many sources of light does she have? Give me another word for three. All. How many sources of light God set up for the earth? Three. Name them. How many of them does a woman have? All three. What am I saying? All the present truth needed to prepare the world to receive Christ is found in this woman. Of whom we are her remnant. 
And the world needs that light. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Then he told the disciples in Matthew 5, 4, ye are the light of the world. Are there two different kinds of light? No, it's the same light. We are to reflect the light that comes from Christ. The light that Christ is, we are to be. That the world may know how to walk. Or that the world may have all excuses removed. I am trying to stress, my beloved brothers and sisters, that withholding this light constitutes, must constitute, truly a crime against humanity. What occupies our time? Professional advancement. My career. Now, please don't leave here saying I'm against careers. I am not. I am against anyone reversing God's principle in Matthew 6.33. Seek ye what? And now you can put whatever else you like after that. Let me tell you something. It is only when that is the order that everything else falls into its proper place. If the kingdom of God is not first, something is out of whack. And it endangers one's eternal uh, destiny. God's way is, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I don't care what plans you have. You know, people always ask me, uh, pray for their educational pursuits. I say, okay, I'd love to pray, but you tell me how you'll use it to glorify God. How? Um, now, tell me your, profession, your, prof, your educational, oh, I want to do a master's, a bachelor's, and a, well, not in that order, a bachelor's, a master's, uh, and then a, a PhD, and uh, then postgraduate, and then uh, some uh, join a think tank in Washington. That's the plan. Now, give me your plan to use it to glorify God. I, I haven't thought of that. This is no joke. I haven't thought of it. Now, you've got a detailed plan to build up yourself. No plan to build up the kingdom of God. But you love Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus. I'm a Christian. You know, <laughs> why do we play with God? Can you answer that for me? Why do we play with, do you know who God is? You know, God has killed people for playing with him. Sent fire. I just burned it. Yeah, God has killed people for playing with him. It is better, the Bible says, not to have known the way of righteousness than to know it and turn from the holy commandment committed unto you. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. It is better. Never to have known something called the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And so what am I saying in all this ranting and raving I appear to be doing? The Seventh-day Adventist Church is God's modern-day Israel. Yeah. 
And we have a responsibility to prepare the world for the second coming of Christ as verily as ancient Israel had a responsibility to prepare the world for the first coming of Christ. And they didn't do it. And he came as a surprise to them. And Christ will come as a surprise to many of modern Israel. While we're busy writing exams, he'll be coming. And I'm really being very serious. Let me ask you a question. If you die tonight, where are you going? Well, I know in the funeral you're going to drown, but when Jesus comes, what, where, where do you go? This way or If you or I died tonight, I believe in the health message. But the purpose of the health message is not to help you live long, it's to help you live well. Okay, how much linkets you eat and keep eating them. You, that can't stop you from being hit by, you know, being stung by a snake if you walk up those mountains. If you and I died tonight, what happens to us? My brothers and sisters, I have nothing against making plans for this world. I, I don't. And by the way, stop misinterpreting the text, occupy till I come. And I'll just say that and leave it at that. I have no, nothing against your children. Make plans for them. They depended on you. Fine. But I have a problem with Adventists who have no plan for tomorrow. By tomorrow, I mean a place in God's kingdom. Here's what Ellen White says, Review and Herald, January 24, 1888, paragraph 4. If your thoughts, your plans, your purposes are all directed toward the accumulation of the things of earth, your anxiety, your study, your interest will all be centered on the world. The heavenly beauties will lose their attraction. The glories of the eternal world will cease to have the force of reality to you. Do you understand what she's saying? When our focus is this world, heavenly things become science fiction to us. Well, if your thoughts, your plans, examine the plans you have for the next 10 years, what do they have to do with the kingdom of God? If you die, how much of your money have you left for the Michigan Conference? <laughs> how much? <laughs> okay, the California Conference. Or some mission in Papua. Are you thinking of God's work? Or do you already have your house picked out? Well, we'll have one in heaven. Nothing wrong with a house on this earth. You already have the position you want and the salary you want. How many years you'll spend at this level before you make CEO and anything above CEO, CP and CQ? <laughs> what plan do you have for God's kingdom? That's all I'm asking. Let me close the book so you realize I'm not threatening to preach much longer. <laughs> Brethren, 
it burdens me greatly. Don't get the impression I'm a saint. Let me tell you what my favorite Bible verse is. Job chapter 40, verse 4. Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. I have nothing to say to God. But give me a break. That's all I can say to God. Give me a break. And I'm not speaking as the angel Gabriel. But I want you to know I have a burden on my heart. Wherever I go, the first concern as a general statement among God's people is not God's work. It is not God's work. Now, I don't care how much you tell me you love Jesus. There's another principle by which God functions. It is not what you say, it's what you do. You remember Isaac, he told Abimelech in Genesis 26, she is my sister. The Bible says in Genesis 26, verse 7, he came to pass, uh, and the men of the place asked him of his wife, and he said, she is my sister. For he feared to say she is my wife, lest, said he, the men of the place should kill me for Rebekah, because she was fair to look upon. He said, she's my sister, just as his father had said. Verse 8, he came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech looked out at the window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. Now, Abimelech the king had in his head what Isaac said, this is my sister. But now he sees Isaac touching this woman in a way a man does not touch his sister. Now, Abimelech was an intelligent man. He makes the right conclusion based not on what Isaac said. We talk easy, I love Jesus. It comes out of the lips like water over Niagara. But when he looked at what he did, he called him, he said, Behold, of a surety, she is what? Thy wife. Abimelech said, Listen, you know what of a surety means? For sure. Yes, as the old Western guy just says, For sure. <laughs> verily, verily. No doubt, this woman is your wife. Why? Because of what Abimelech saw him do. Now, we're saved by faith. You know, Peter told the, the, the Ethiopian, if you can believe, Jesus, you know, the Ethiopian said, Lord, I, I believe. He said it, I believe. But he meant it. Praise God, bless him. But oh, I believe, I believe. How many of you love Jesus? Can I see your hands? <laughs> yeah, you love Jesus. Now, the rest of you... You're not raising your hands. You think this is a trick question. Well, it was. Now, but, but look at our lives. You know what Jesus said? This people, referring to you, draw nigh unto me how? Yeah. Finish the first. But their heart. So when you tell me you love Jesus, I'm not impressed. But I'm glad you say, don't ever say, I hate Jesus. Don't say that, because a record is taken. But a hypocritical I love Jesus amounts to the same thing. It is what you do. That's why we're saved by faith, but we judge how? By works. So God says, okay, you said you love me. All right, let's not argue. Let me look at your works. Now let me ask you at uh, 10 to 4. Is the kingdom of God uppermost in your heart? No, you can answer me. It's no trick question. Is the kingdom of God first in your life? Yes or no? Yes. Examine your behavior. Examine your expenditures. Examine your plans. Do they reflect the first place of God's kingdom? You know, amen is neither yes or no. It's for this sermon. Let me... Let me close.
But I'm descending to the level of begging now, and I don't want to do that. But if it's necessary, I'll do it. Put God first. An angel just recorded, I said that, to you, August 30, 2008, at Pine Springs Ranch in the Ponderosa Room. That is recorded. Put God first. You will never regret it. Start changing the plans you have for your life. If you just got married, change your plan to have six children. Have maybe two. Because the more children you have, the less you can give to God's work. No, this is serious business. People decide on how many children, never thinking, the more children I have, the less I can give to God unless I'm Bill Gates. It is true. If we would think of God first, there are many decisions we would never make. We are peculiar people. Let me repeat one statement from Ellen White. Last day events, page 45, paragraph 2, Seventh-day Adventists have been chosen by God as a peculiar people separate from the world. By the great cleaver of truth, and I have not identified it, I won't. I'll do that, GYC. By the great cleaver of truth, he has cut them out from the quarry of the world and brought them into connection with himself. He has made them his representatives and has called them to be ambassadors for him in the last work of salvation, the greatest wealth of truth ever entrusted to mortals. The most solemn and fearful warnings ever sent by God to man has been committed to them to be given to the world. And the world still waits. While we build more churches, while every college tries to be a university, and every academy tries to be a college. And every high school tries to... And the work still lags. Because in our hearts, we don't understand or believe we are specially called the truth entrusted to us. And the kingdom of God is not first. That's not a judgment. That's a statement based on reality. But there's hope for us that can start today. You can change your plans to reflect the preeminent position of the kingdom of God. You can change the financial decisions you've made. You can change them now. You can break off that relationship with that non-Semday Adventist man or woman because now you understand you're different. You can break it off and you should because we've been separated from the world and from the churches. Listen carefully to what I'm appealing for. Listen carefully. Let's pray first, then I'll appeal. Father in heaven, as I make this appeal, give me the right words. Dear God, my words are weak, but yours are strong. Give me the right words and soften hard hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Think of the plans you've made for your life right now. Particularly those of you who are young. In the light of this message, do you need to make any changes? If the kingdom of God is not clearly identified as first place by an examination of your plans, they need to change or stop saying you love Jesus. Now here's the appeal. If you think you need to make some changes in your life to make the kingdom the first in your life, 
Raise your hand. Oh, stand. Now, make the changes. Don't just say, I need to make them. Make the changes. For Christ's sake, make the changes. You may have to ask God to touch your spouse's heart. You may have to ask God to touch your parents' heart. But your first responsibility, if you're an adult past the age of knowing right and wrong, your first responsibility is to God. If you have to make a change in plans that reflects the primacy of the kingdom of God in your life, make that change starting now. You know, God called Abraham twice, Abraham, Abraham. He called Moses twice, Moses, Moses. You know, he called Samuel twice, Samuel, Samuel, Martha, Martha, Saul, Saul, you know, Simon, Simon, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Well, let me call you a second time. You've stood to say, that's what I want to do. Confirm it by raising your right hand again. I'll make that change. Hands down. Father in heaven, include me in those who need to make any changes so that an examination of these renewed plans will clearly show that the kingdom of God is first as it was in the life of Jesus Christ. And those early disciples and apostles who, because the kingdom was first, they turned the world upside down without iPods and cell phones and downlinks and uplinks and cars and planes and boats and whatever else, they turned the world upside down without computers, fax and SMS. We have all that stuff. We are doing nothing because we don't have the devotion to the kingdom they had. God of heaven and earth, prick our hearts painfully. Let us stop walking all over you, God, and really, honestly, sincerely appreciate the distinctness of this church, the Seventh-day Adventist church, the uniqueness of its calling, the prophetic roots that go all the way deep into Revelation 10 through 14. And God, let us put your kingdom first. Because when a man or a woman puts you first, their God, you raise that person to unimaginable heights. In the name of Jesus, who always put you first, let us make the changes in those plans. And if we're scared of what family and friends will say, let us stand on Psalm 56.3, what time I am afraid, I will trust in God. Oh, Father, bless your sons and daughters. I believe in my heart every single person under the sound of your manservant's voice wants a place in the kingdom. The Spirit is willing, God. Our flesh is so weak sometimes. Give us the very power Jesus had. And use us, God, to communicate that special light we alone have. Hear this humble prayer, sweet Jesus. Dear Father, we offer it in Jesus' name. Let all God's people say, Amen. Amen. God bless you.